Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Listen, as we go into our teaching time, do you like those times where we end with uh, Q&A? And uh, I love those times. We do our best to answer questions that you send in. Uh, Let's switch it up a bit, okay, today. How about we, we start with a Q&A and I ask you the questions, all right? Here's the first question. Have you ever heard of Joe Schuster? Give you a hint. He was born in Toronto. And uh, if you're in the chat room, you can sort of, you know, put him what you think is the significance of Joe Schuster. He actually was the creator of Superman. <clears throat> So, Joe Schuster, who is he? But Superman, everybody's heard of Superman. It's like Joe has gone invisible on us. What about this one? What about James Naismith? Here's the hint. He's from, he was from Almont, Ontario. Now, how many have ever heard of Chris Bosch, Kawhi Leonard, or the name of uh, this guy? He, he wrote this when we were at a basketball game to David and Matthew Smith, Vince Carter. Ever heard of him? Listen, you never would have heard of Vince Carter or Kawhi Leonard or Chris Bosh. You never would have heard of them without, without James Naismith because he's the Canadian who invented basketball. All right, here's another one. Tim Berner-Lee. His invention is called the number one moment that shaped the world. He invented what you are able to use right now to hear me talk to you, the World Wide Web. He invented it. Now, it's like the one, everyone uses the internet, but the one who invented what we needed to use it has gone invisible. All right, what about the Apostle Paul. Well, if you've read the New Testament of the Bible, you know he's the New Testament's Superman. I mean, he's so famous in the Bible. He, uh, he's made a huge impact from first century uh, Christianity right through to today. And uh, so, of course, a lot of people have heard of the Apostle Paul, but listen to me now, three times his life was saved. Can you imagine how heroic those people must be who saved the life of the one who is really arguably the most impactful Christian that has ever lived? So name me one of the people (laughs) that saved the Apostle Paul's life. Can you think of any of them? You read about the first one, in Acts chapter 9 of the Bible. And you read about it when you see what looks like the end of the Apostle Paul, all right? Now, we'll say, we'll explain why he was called Saul here, but look at this. 
Saul, Paul, but we'll get to that. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute Paul's proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. They could murder him. So if it all ended here, I mean, he's called Saul there, but he became known as the Apostle Paul because of the, the great apostolic impact he had on so many in the early Jesus followers community. And so if, if it ended here, because I mean, his, his name was changed from Saul to Paul because of the impact that he had in the first century amongst Christians. And, and any of the chapters of the book of Acts that really is the history of that early church, they, they never would have happened. Listen, people in over a dozen cities never would have heard about the apostle Paul. And then, of course, the generations following would have been so much weaker in terms of people knowing about Jesus. 13 books of the New Testament that have helped so many of us over the centuries as Jesus followers. You know, like some of you that have been following Jesus and have read the Apostle Paul's letters, you can even finish off some of the sentences from some of these favorite verses that the Apostle Paul wrote. All things work together for, for good, right? What can separate us from the Love of God that is ours. Love is patient. Love is kind. The peace of God that passes all understanding. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, right? I mean, if Paul's life had ended here, you wouldn't have had those favorite verses that have been such an encouragement to so many of us following Jesus. You wouldn't have half the books in the New Testament. So what actually happened? What actually happened? Thank God the murderers who were plotting to murder Paul didn't get to him. Who saved his life? Well, look at this. They were watching for him day and night, the ones that were plotting to murder him, at the city gate so that they could... But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. So the apostle Paul's life is saved. By who? What are their names? <laughs> I mean, who are these people that risked their life to hold the ropes to lower him over the city wall in a basket by night? Who? It just seems unfair. We, we don't even know. They're, the people who held the ropes, that's all we know about them. It was like that for Joe Schuster and James Naismith and Tim Berner-Lee. It still happens in churches and in families and in workplaces to this day. There are three ways that people go invisible. And it seems so unfair. First, when they're overlooked. It's like they're unseen. You know, people can volunteer for years and years and and it's like it's not even recognized. Prayer is like that. It's so invisible. You can have people that you prayed for and their lives are so much better off. They have benefited from your prayers, but they don't even know that you've been praying for them. Another way 
people can go invisible and it's so unfair is that they're, they're taken for granted. They're unappreciated. Parenting is like that, isn't it? <laughs> you sacrifice, you give, you transport, you care, you pray. And then, and then kids can have whole chapters of their lives that they go into where they, they don't even seem to acknowledge or appreciate it. And then there's another way that we can go invisible, and that is when we're forgotten. You know, unseen, unappreciated, so I had to make it un, unremembered. I, I remember speaking at an anniversary service in Edmonton where my wife Esther and I, our children were born there. We gave nine years of our lives, just gave our blood, sweat, and tears for those precious people in the city of Edmonton. Uh, the church doubled in size in, in uh, every three of our nine years there. I remember, I was thinking this past week, how they rented a, um, a hotel conference room to allow everybody to just come and, and have a farewell gathering for us. I mean, they, they were just so, so good to us. So I remember when I was back there, not many years after leaving, we were pastoring in Ottawa at the time, and I went back for one of their anniversary services, and it was to wait in the pastor's office till we went out on the platform. The door suddenly opened, and a, a guy who I found out later was the youth pastor looked in at me, and he said, who are you? And I thought, oh, he just doesn't recognize me. He's new and doesn't know my name. So I said, Keith Smith. And he went, shrugged his shoulder, went, oh, and just closed the door. <laughs> it just hit me how, you know, you're there and it's just like you're gone and, 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 and you're forgotten. It's one of the casualties of getting old. Not that I've experienced that. But you know, it's like you can sort of feel like you're, you're out of the loop, you're out of circulation, where you've worked, you're not there anymore, has given you status or recognition. It's just, it just sort of has diluted or dissipated or evaporated in your life. And, and it's like you've become invisible, invisible. And you can even have moments when people I hear from, they have these moments, does my life even matter anymore? It was like that for these people that risked their lives to save the life of the Apostle Paul. There's not even a plaque that was saying, you know, these are the names of the people that rescued the Apostle Paul from being murdered. All right, you know, but look, at right now I'm communicating to over a, a thousand people. But the only reason that you can see me is because of people that you can't see. They're running cameras, and how would you hear me without someone running the sound? Uh, children's lives. I keep hearing about the wonderful things that are happening for our children, both online and at the physical location. What are the names of the volunteers that are making that happen? Who prayed for this gathering that you and I are part of right now so that the Holy Spirit could, could speak to and not just help you learn something, but transform your life? Who gave sacrificially of the finances so we would have the resources to be this love army that's helping people in Toronto and literally around the world? You see, what I'm saying, it still takes a lot of invisible people to do church. How can, how can invisible people be significant? Well, think of the three invisibles that saved the life of the Apostle Paul. Who were the first ones? We've already seen them. Invisibles number one were the rope holders. Let's check out the invisibles number two. All right, here's where again it looked like the end of the apostle Paul. All right, 
Here's what happens. The next morning, this is in Acts 23, so a long way from Acts 9. A lot of time has gone by, but same kind of scenario. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. <laughs> there were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. More than 40 of them in the conspiracy. Now, you know, twice in my years of pastoring, my life has been threatened. I remember the time in uh, Edmonton where I was warned. There was a guy whose wife we have been helping as a church, and the guy was on the way to the church, to my office, with a gun to get me. While pastoring in Ottawa, not Edmonton now, but Ottawa, we had this woman that threatened both me and my family. The police intercepted her just up the road from my house when she was coming to get us in Ottawa. So that's Edmonton, Ottawa, Toronto. So far, so good, all right? So far, so good. Paul was rescued by someone who... You don't even know, really, their, their name. What actually happened here? What actually happened here for Paul when he is rescued is that, um, you know, if, if it ended here and he, and he wasn't rescued, look at this. He, he went out to Caesarea right on the Mediterranean coast and there were three court hearings that never would have happened, and which means there are three groups of, of Roman government officials and Jewish leaders that would never have heard the good news about Jesus. Felix and his wife and their entire entourage. They listened, I'm quoting from Acts 24, verse 24, they listened as Paul told them about his faith in Jesus. And then Festus, another leader, another Roman government leader in Acts 25. And then get this, King Agrippa and Bernice. Paul went out before them in chains, right? Sort of handcuffs around his wrists. And, and, and the apostle Paul began to tell them the good news of Jesus. And Agrippa, I'm reading now from Acts chapter 26, Agrippa, King Agrippa, interrupted Paul. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains, he said. If it ended here, a lot of people in Roman leadership and Jewish leadership and their entourages, a lot of people in Caesarea never would have heard the good news about Jesus. So, so what actually happened? Well, Paul had been in Jerusalem, remember, and the opposition that was so fierce, so many hate-filled religious extremists, 40 of them took an oath not to eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul, all right? What happened, actually? Enter Paul's nephew, all right? But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers. Later on in the chapter, it says, then the commander called two of his officers and ordered them, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock 
tonight. Paul's life was saved for the second time, this time by Paul's nephew. My wife and I were talking about what I was going to be teaching on this weekend, and I said, have you ever heard of Paul's nephew? And she said, no, I haven't heard about it. He's in the Bible. That's the whole point. And yet, because of this no-name nephew, Paul lives for another several chapters of his life to tell more and more people about Jesus. It's the same today. A lot of people we don't know the names of are responsible for why our church is able to be a, a love army. You know, we, we can have a sampling. Sometimes we hear a few stories of what individuals did, but basically they're, they're just lost in this crowd of soldiers in this love army that are up to doing unignorably good in this city of Toronto. You know, in an era when churches had huge pipe organs, matter of fact, the organist often was on staff in some of these big historical churches, and some of these huge pipe organs would take up the whole wall of a church, and it was pre-electricity. And so what happened behind the scenes, up behind the pipes, there would often be an individual who would uh, lift up weights, and uh, those weights coming down would provide the compression for the pipes so that they would make that beautiful organ sound. And uh, so there was a story of this professional organist at a music concert in a church and uh, the place that was filled with people anticipating this uh, beautiful organ being heard and this these wonderful uh, sounds of music and and of course they couldn't see the it was a boy who was behind the organ who was mechanically lifting the weights so that they could with gravity come down and provide the compression so that sound could be heard from the organ and 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 at the first part of it went well and then they came to the intermission time and the boy came out from behind the organ and said to this professional organist he said aren't we doing good just expecting a little bit of affirmation a little bit of recognition a little bit of credit aren't we doing good and the organist looked at him pridefully and said what do you mean by we <laughs> After the intermission, they went into the uh, second part of this organ music and it started out wonderful, but then after a while, the organist was pressing keys, but there was no sound and then it kept happening. Finally, the concert had to be stopped completely and the little boy came out from behind the organ and he said to this organist, he said, now do you know what I mean by we? <laughs> Uh, you know who the real heroes are in the church to pastors? Uh, those individuals that just faithfully work behind the scenes. Maybe they're never or hardly ever recognized. Last week, Pastor Jessica told us in her teaching about Evelyn in our church family who volunteered for, for years. And remember the... Uh, impact she had on Hannah, one of the ones that was leading us in uh, uh, that song just before my teaching. Well, Evelyn served, did you know she served into her 90s? She went to be with the Lord just a few months short of her 100th birthday. She never stopped serving. She told Pastor Dennis Oxford, who was on our staff, she said, uh, and, and he was telling me that she didn't want anyone to know how old she was 
because she didn't want anyone to say she was too old to serve. Isn't that something? That's why I don't tell you how old I am. But <laughs> we have a beautiful children's wing set up exclusively for children. Uh, it's a tool that's helped a lot of children in the city of Toronto. It has the scripture verse above it that says, so the next generation will know, will know about Jesus. Well, uh, Pastor Jonathan, when he was here earlier on staff before going to Montreal, shared some of the vision, a lot of volunteers on committees. But I remember there was one administrator we had that came on our staff who just really took the lead and people wouldn't even know that he took such a lead in helping that vision come into a building that has been such a tool to help so many children. His name is Ron MacArthur, such a wonderful administrator. But you didn't hear much about him. Before I arrived at the church, matter of fact, before Pastor Mulligan, if you know the history, during the time of Bert Lira, there was a couple that was serving at this church always helping out in outreaches and caring for people, always behind the scenes, just helping people. I was talking to a newer a Christian, newer part of our one church family earlier this week when I was visiting uh, one of my sons. And, and they said, you know, we went, he said, I was volunteering at the food bank at your church uh, last night, which would have been Tuesday night. And he said, I met this wonderful couple, and guess who they were? That same couple that had been serving with me and pastors before me, with Pastor Jonathan now. I mean, Lorne and Rose Chapman. I remember one time I met Lorne midweek, and he was helping out at the food bank, and he said, Pastor Keith, if you took all the ministries away, because he'd served as a deacon on the deacon board of our church, he'd served in so many capacities, and he said, if you took all the ministries away and only left me with one, he said, this would be the one. Helping people. At that time, there was a flood of Syrian refugees that we were helping. And he said, this would be the ministry that I would love to do the most. This is the one that I would keep. I, I, I've had the privilege of pastoring so many people who are my heroes. Some of them, you join us from Edmonton. You tell me about that for our services. So many of you here in Toronto and through COVID's limitations, you've adapted. You've been faithful. You continue to give and to, to serve and, and to care for other people. This fall is hopefully ministries resume. I, I know you'll be there because that's just who you are. And on behalf of Pastor Jonathan Smith and all the pastors of One Church TO, you need to know you are our heroes. <laughs> when we say we, we're thinking of you. And if you're French, I suppose you could say we right now. We're thinking we know, we know who the faithful servants who use their gifts and talents and giving and, and time to care and help. And you're the ones that make this church happen. All right, let's meet invisible number three before we pray. Invisible number three. The Apostle Paul is sent from Caesarea out to Rome to face those charges because he appealed to a higher court. On the boat ride getting him there, he has two near-death experiences. And Nero is the emperor uh, of the Roman Empire when he arrives. And you might remember, Nero had a few good years, but then he got increasingly paranoid 
and ruthless and hate-filled, and he's the emperor who used Christians as scapegoats. And so the apostle Paul arrives, he's uh, stuck in a jail, and historians say that he was executed, and most agree that it was likely when Nero blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome, for burning Rome, and he needed a scapegoat. And it looks like this is the end of the Apostle Paul. Actually, it didn't just look like it. Paul acknowledges it in his last letter that he writes. He writes it to Pastor Timothy from his Roman jail cell. And he says, the time has come for my departure. It's near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished. He says, I'm finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, if it ended here, it did end here, but it didn't. Did you notice that he called his death his departure? He says, my departure is at hand. Because he had taught, and he knew this because Jesus rose from the dead and said, because I live, you followers, you will live also. Because I give my life for you and rose for you, you will have everlasting life. And so Paul wrote it this way. He said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's saying what happens is not death, but a relocation. You go from earth to heaven with a new spiritual body. And that's what actually happened. That's what actually happened. Paul was rescued from death once again, not by a team of volunteers holding ropes, not by a nephew who came to the rescue. Paul was rescued by someone who died in Paul's place, who died so that Paul would not have to, but so that Paul, <laughs> when he breathed his last year, it would be his first breath in the presence of God in heaven. Jesus himself rescued Paul. And he writes about that. He goes on his next words to Pastor Timothy. He's saying, now, what about the future for me? When I die, it's my departure. And when I go to where I'm departing to, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all. <laughs> who have longed for his appearing, all the followers of Jesus that are looking not only to live for Jesus now, but to be with him in heaven forever. He says, I've got a future. There's in store for me. And it's not just for me. It's for all who long for his appearing. That's what's going to happen to you at the moment of what they call death. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you know that cancer cannot kill a Christian? A tragic accident cannot kill a Christian. A heart attack or stroke cannot kill a Christian. A bullet can't kill a Christian. A decline in body or a dementia condition of mind cannot kill a Christian. You cannot kill a Christian. All you can do is relocate them because Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. They will not die. They will have everlasting life. And as far as going invisible, <laughs> you know what? If you go by what Jesus is saying here, there, there are only ways that you can seem to go invisible because you're always visible to God. He overlooked, unseen, taken for granted, unappreciated, forgotten, unremembered. 
Does my life even matter anymore? In this series where we talk about being lost in this universe, just one person in this humongous universe, we've seen that Aquila and Priscilla may have been persecuted and behind the scenes, Jesus does wonderful things in their lives. Mary Magdalene may have been canceled, but Jesus worked through her life to reach others. Remember, Deborah was forgotten, overlooked, and yet she led that nation into 40 years of peace. Remember those two artists that Pastor Matt talked about whose names I cannot pronounce? God actually calls them by name. They're the artists that I want to work on my tabernacle. You see, see, God, God sees every one of us. He sees you and he knows what you're going through right now. And he loves you and he has a plan. He has a purpose. He wants to partner with you in your prayers. He wants to do life with you. He wants you to have hope and to have a future. Whoever's forgotten you, whoever's overlooked you, whoever just doesn't appreciate you, takes you for granted. The, 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 the teaching of this series is that you may be invisible to others at times, but you're never unseen by the God who placed you on this planet on purpose and gave his life for you so that you could have a second chance at a whole new life with him and in a life with him in heaven forever. He knows the name of no-name nephews and every volunteer who lifts the burdens and holds the ropes, everyone who cares for others even when no one else sees them. And, and, and the one who sees it all will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Because where did he say that? Those were people that thought they were overlooked. They said, Jesus, when did you see us caring for others and meeting the needs of giving a cup of water in your name. Where did you see us doing this? He says, whenever you did it for anyone, even the least of these, you were doing it for me. So the faithful volunteers, and we, a lot of you are watching me right now, the faithful volunteers say, yeah, we did. We cared, we gave, we helped, but we didn't think anybody was watching. And Jesus is saying here, I was watching. I saw all the good <laughs> that you did in your entire life. And now I'm going to reward you for it. Today, <laughs> your life does matter to the Lord. He's the one who matters most. And he's the one who says that you matter to him. You've never, you've never met a person, you included, that does not matter to Jesus so much so that he gave his life in our place to rescue us so that we could have a life with him forever. You and every person in this universe is significant to Jesus. So let me pray for you right now. Lord, come alongside the one who feels invisible because of the treatment of others or the stage of life they're in or what they have been through circumstantially. Lord, they may feel invisible and overlooked and taken for granted and forgotten. But Lord, because you are unlimited in your power, 
you can give every one of us your full attention right now. And I ask you to do that for every person that's turning to you. Thank you that you're aware of every flower in the field and every bird in the sky. And you say to us, you're so much more valuable than those flowers and those birds. And I'm, I'm watching out for you. I've got you, even when you feel invisible. And Lord, we remind ourselves, we remind ourselves that you were the one that we do life for. You were the one that we do acts of goodness for. You were the one, Lord, that we, you're the reason we give and we pray and we serve. And people, <laughs> imperfect people will overlook us and take us for granted. And, but thank you that we're never forgotten or overlooked or taken for granted by you. And so, Lord, we, we leave this teaching time saying we, we're going to live for you. We're going to serve you all of our days until our moment of departure comes when we are relocated to your perfect presence. And may every one of us hear, well done, good and faithful servant on that day. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone who wants that to happen in their life, say together with me, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.